whatever y'all did on a back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? Because I kind of had it going. Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. It's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? because we got more to do so welcome to the wolves watch i'm dan radke and i'm joined as always by ricky Bruno. rick how are you this sunday afternoon i'm doing well how are you good it has been a month it's been a long month we haven't been i was just checking this before we started recording we have not released anything since february 8th and it is march 5th so there was a long break um I guess just general life busyness probably got in the way. We haven't been watching any less extended all-star break. Yeah. We'll extended all-star break, but yeah, we haven't been watching any less hoops, but we wanted to get back into a rhythm now that we are approaching the end of the season um, and hopefully a playoff berth for the Timberwolves. There are 16 remaining regular season games and the Wolves are coming off of a three game road uh, winning streak on the West coast that started with the Clippers on Tuesday and then culminated with a back-to-back in L.A. playing the Lakers on Friday and last night against the Kings. Uh, They will be headed home for a game on Tuesday against the 76ers. But interesting that this was uh, a winning streak that they were able to pull off. Um, It was a West Coast trip. And prior to the West Coast trip, they had had a real rough time at home, losing two to the Wizards and the Hornets, followed by a loss to the Warriors. So it was a three-game losing streak, two of which were pretty ugly. Um, and I did not have a lot of hope. I know, Rick, you were probably in the same kind of headspace going into that West Coast trip, but uh, they strung together three really impressive wins. And I don't know if you want to start with individual game performances or just go overall, um, but I definitely have felt a fundamental change And again, it's just like with this team, it feels like forever now. It's all about will it hold? Um, Is it sustainable? Is it something that they're going to be able to continue moving forward? But I have seen a a vast difference in this team these last few games in comparison uh, to the the previous couple of weeks before that. Yeah, it feels different. And the thing I would say about the three games that you referenced um, before this, this winning streak is, and it, this is, I guess the outcomes of this California trip, were going to kind of dictate how we would look at the three games that preceded it. Because now that we've won those, the three California games, you can look back at the three games that preceded it and think to yourself uh, reasonably that like, Hey, those were three games that, they could have and should have won. And at the time, what that felt like was the same old Wolves. You know, the problems that they have had are not necessarily talent related, but more about fit and just like presence, you know, presence on the court. And so if we had dropped these games in California, I would have said those three games foreshadowed it. And we're just like, this team doesn't have enough heart. They don't have connectivity. They just, you know, they just don't have what it takes as a group uh, to be better than the sum of their parts. But now that we did win those three games, you can kind of look back at those other three and go, you know what? The signs were there that they could do this. If they could just click in certain ways, you know, those would have been three games that we'd have easily won. 
And um, so I think that the hope is obviously, like you said, that this is sustainable and things have clicked. And yeah, I, I think I agree with you that that this does feel different. I mean, the people writing about the team seem to believe that. Jim Peterson seems to believe that. Um, and I guess that really shouldn't come as a surprise that it took a little bit longer because even though, you know, we were fully aware of where Mike Conley was at, is at in his career, there still kind of was a little bit of an expectation that he would just hit the ground running with us. And, you know, the fact that it's, it took, (laughs) it really didn't take very long it took like four or five games for them to build up a rhythm. Now that you just can take a, a a slightly, you know, more dispassionate look at it since we're not in the moment, you just kind of, you're a little more clear headed about it. And you go like, you know, that was a really big move that they made personality wise and style of play. And it just took a second, uh, for them to find that rhythm, but it, it would appear that they have indeed found that rhythm. And more importantly, they found that elusive identity. Yeah. I think part of, part of the change is, is fairly explainable uh, to your point about the Conley edition and the Nikhil Alexander Walker edition. Which yeah. I know we'll Dan, want to talk let me about say about Nikhil um, Alexander Walker. Is he the Jared Vanderbilt of this trade? As in when we, traded Robert Covington uh, three years ago, we got, you know, in order, we got Beasley, Wancho, space, 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 Jared Vanderbilt. And it, you know, he became the most valuable guy of that trade. Does Nikhil Alexander-Walker have some of that potential for us? I mean, you would have to say yes at this point. Uh, his performance since he threw on a Wolves jersey has been pretty incredible given what he was doing in Utah. And that wasn't his fault. It was what he was being asked to do in Utah. He had a very small role. And since coming to Minnesota, there's also still been some injury issues for the Wolves that has led to, you know, it's led to him having a pretty consistent role. Uh, Jalen Noel missed his third straight game last night with a knee issue. So, um, but no, I, and, you know, he's gobbled up, he's gobbled up Austin Rivers minutes. And I think yep. he is, I mean, he can, this is the thing about eighth, ninth guys is, you know, you're two bad games away from then yourself being out of the rotation. So it, this is all contingent on him no maintaining some level of play, but if he does, yeah, he's going to, especially if, and when Carl comes back, he'll gobble up all of Rivers and Noel's minutes and render those guys as like situational specialists like we need it we're just like cannot score for the life of us like let's just see if Jalen can get something popping you know like we're not guarding we need a little bit of irrational fire like throw Austin in but that's a great thing to be able to because that we were coming to a little bit of a bottleneck here once the team was healthy really having like 11 12 guys that could credibly state claim to a rotation spot and that's just not you you can really only play nine in the playoffs and so that is a very welcome thing to happen to have one guy be able to kind of fill the role of uh previously held by two dudes yeah and and you laid it out really nicely what i was going to say and it's it's essentially a summation of what you you just went over the reason I'm I'm thrilled with Alexander Walker's play is between the three of them, uh, Jalen Noel, Austin Rivers, and now Alexander Walker, you basically have 
three different types of players to use um, in spot minutes, depending on the opponent in the situation. So you have Austin Rivers, who can defend pretty credibly, but he's limited in terms of his physical size, so it's guard-specific. You have Jalen Noel, who can't guard, but he is by far the best offensive creator of that threesome. And then you have Alexander Walker, who has proven himself to be a surprisingly effective perimeter defender, and he's got far more size than Austin Rivers does. And all three of them, probably Sands, Jalen Noel, but uh, have some shooting. So it's kind of a nice... It's a nice threesome for like one role. Like you basically just put the three of them together and like the night will dictate and whoever's hot will dictate who that one spot goes to. Well, it's a spectrum, Dan. And like on the far left of the spectrum, you have Austin Rivers. And on the far right of the spectrum, you have Jalen Noel. And uh, Nikhil is somewhere in the middle based on his performance so far, which means that in most games, the answer will be Nikhil. Um, but still having the option, like we were saying a second ago, to go with either of the two guys on the other ends of the polls, like not a bad option to have if, you know, everybody's on the same page about that. That that can become obviously a chemistry problem, which I think, you know, I think maybe that's the place to take this, Dan, because I think one of the things that is emerging to me and is very clear um, is that the chemistry with D'Angelo Russell in the mix was not right. And you could, you know, I would say generously, the thing that he could not really control about that is he correctly identified that the team was not very invested in him. Um, that's, that's the one thing I would say to, in his defense there is that is true. Like the team did not extend him. The team did try to trade him in the summer um, and they were kind of wishy-washy about what his role was with the group. And, but at the same time, he handled it, you know, in a very selfish way and in a way that was not going to lead to team success. Um, obviously like namely with his open disdain for Rudy Gobert and that trade, um, it just, it, they were that that it's pretty easy to see now that like what what makes you better or worse than the sum of your parts are is the personalities and the chemistry and the chemistry was not there and simply swapping him out for Mike Conley at least from that perspective from a consistency continuity uh, just attitude general vibe like the team feels less volatile more stable than they did before. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of two things at the same time. There's the basketball side of it, um, the on-court stuff, which, and and I want to get into this in more detail here in a minute, but like the unlocking of Rudy Gobert, um, the chemistry that he so clearly has with Mike Conley, that seems to be getting better, you know, by the half practically. And then there's the team wide, um, I mean, it, the way you framed it to me in a text earlier this week was just the the physicality that the team was playing with. And what's surprising to me is I agree with you that the chemistry was clearly off. I would not have believed that just swapping those guys out would make that kind of an impact on just the team's mentality because it isn't any one guy. It isn't any one unit. It's really everybody. No, you don't really think of Mike Con- Mike Conley is not a physical player. I have a theory about this, though. Go for it. I'd love to hear it. 
Well, my theory about it is they removed any possibility, any doubt that this was the direction that the team needed to go in to be most successful. Because when you still have D'Angelo Russell on your team and with Cat's return allegedly imminent, um, you really still do have, you can credibly say like, no, our best path to win right now is to score as many points as possible. And what was very clear in the immediate aftermath of the D'Angelo Russell trade is, oh shit, we kind of needed D'Angelo Russell's offense. Like we don't really have a lot going on here uh, on that end of the court. And so you have to, and that's where I think you and I were maybe pessimistic after, after we had dropped those games in and around the, the uh, all-star break is all right, well, shit, we don't have our, uh, we don't have a second offensive option consistently. The team to this point has not consistently played rugged defense. So what is our identity? And fortunately they looked around and presumably came to the conclusion that, Oh shit, with what we have, the only thing that we can do to consistently compete and win is to play this physical brand of basketball. That's all we've got. And so if the options are do that or lose, they're going to do that. But if the options are do that or try to outscore your opponent or lose, it's, it's a lot harder to get everybody rowing in the same direction. And so I just think it's a simple matter of, it's very obvious to all the people involved. And this is, this, this sounds like one of those things where like, how, how could that be so difficult? But you and I know this, even just from the managing we do at our jobs, like a lot of getting buy-in to get people to do what is best for the collective is to eliminate the other options until, um, you know, what, is best for the group is so obviously the best for all the individuals involved that you've created the incentives for individuals to, you know, participate in the greater good, because that's very clearly the best thing to do. Yeah, I think that's, that's actually really well said. And I think creating clarity around the direction of the team probably does, you know, just make it easier for the coaching staff and and a lot of the players as well to just understand what needs to be done from this point to the end of the season. The other thing I want to mention real quick too about it is it was kind of a brilliant move to specifically make a deal that Conley, uh, that would bring you back Mike Conley, because I've started to see something here in the last few games that I hadn't seen. And correct me if I'm wrong, you've been in the building for more games. So obviously if this is wrong, you can just tell me, but Well, I haven't been in the building for any Mike Conley games. True. Yeah. But what I've been seeing is, so Mike Conley instinctively, um, and Kyle Anderson was kind of the only guy to be able to do this prior to the Conley trade, but those two are really the only ones who kind of seem to understand Rudy and understand where he needs the ball, when he needs the ball. And I got to actually add one more guy to that, Dan. Nikhil Alexander-Walker also does. (laughs) Maybe just from honestly being there for that half season, not even half season, whatever, right. you know, 20, 30 games at the end of last year. He had a pass in, I believe, the Lakers game that I was going to text you about, but it just the moment went too fast where 
uh, he hit Rudy on the short roll and really demonstrably threw a hard pass at the ground so that it would bounce high enough. I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. And that is when it really clicked for me in my head of this guy is humongous and his hands and arms are not where most dudes are. And so, and so I think I thought a lot of this and I still do to some degree, I think it's a worthy nitpick of a dude that makes, you know, almost a million dollars a week to be like, dude, you should be able to catch the ball in a lot of different places. But I will say that pass specifically really illuminated it to me that like, Oh shit. Like, if you just throw the pass, like just the default pass, like your brain is not even thinking about it. This guy is so big that, yeah, it's going to be at his like waist or below. And that is going to be hard to handle. Yeah, it's I'm glad you brought up that specific pass because you're right. It not only was it just an amazing play, but it, it showed that just familiarity like you said, only, you know, six months or whatever it was like that, that much familiarity made him just a little bit further ahead in the chemistry uh, with Rudy. But where I was going with it is these guys have, so we now have multiple guys on the floor that work with Rudy really well. And the last few games have been some of Rudy's best games of the season. Um, specifically, I thought the Lakers game was probably the best game of his season. Um, yeah, I, I think he's been, you know, pretty much the best player on the court in the last three games against some really good players and really great Correct. center matchups. I mean, the way that he gave it to both Sabonis and Anthony Davis um, was yeah. loud and it was surprising. I mean, we usually think of Rudy's impact as being on the margins and being a little muted. There was nothing muted about that performance he had against Anthony Davis. He, he took it to Anthony Davis. Yep. And then what you've been seeing is with Rudy Gobert's improved performance in these last few games, largely just due to him getting utilized in a, in a better way that fits him. Like I saw Ant three different times in last night's game against Sacramento when Rudy scored the ball, like Ant stood up on the bench and was like rooting really hard for Rudy, which is not something I've seen all season. And so, again, the genius of bringing Conley in is not just that it makes, obviously, it makes things easier on Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert's success equals team success and yada, yada, yada. The more important thing is it just makes Rudy look good again, which yep. isn't nothing. No, it with, makes a big difference. Yeah, because with all those passes that you were referencing that he dropped and fumbled and led to turnovers and, and yada, yada, it kind of led, I would assume, in the locker room to players just kind of looking at him side-eyed being like who Definitely. are you like what are you like I can't believe that you were sold to us as this like max player defensive player of the year kind of guy and now that he's looking good again and carrying some swagger like I just noticed how the players reacted to his you know to his production and that's a really good sign as we inch closer to the playoffs because you need every obviously you want to be playing your best basketball but more importantly like with Rudy, for any Timberwolves fans that have watched this team play all year, like everybody needs to be bought into Rudy on this team. <laughs> and if there's any holdouts. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like what, what has not been apparent throughout the year, and I think this has been one of the reasons why it's been so slow to come, is that the virtue of doing that hasn't always been clear. Uh, but the virtue of doing that in these last 
you know, basically since they got Mike Conley is, is it really obvious? It's like, Oh shit. Like this guy, it's not even just like, you know, it's not a make a wish thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this guy's really fucking good. Right. Right, when, right. Right. When we are all bought in with him and utilize him correctly and don't care if he travels or don't care if he airballs a free throw. Sorry about that. Don't care if he offers a, or a airballs a free throw, like just, just get the fuck over it. And I think, you know, that moment in the game last night got a lot of play where Kyle Anderson kissed him on the cheek, but that's a great example of, exactly what you're talking about which is it's it's a mature thing to do it accepting people for who they are you know is and you know it's probably too much to ask of a you know a pair of 21 22 year olds anthony edwards and Jaden mcdaniels to have that clarity um but that's that's the key in bringing in a 35 year old you know is like it's that virtue of like accepting these guys for who they are and uh, really, really utilizing it. So to to really nail that point home, Dan. I mean, we were in a low point with with Rudy. He was battling that groin injury. Uh, the games leading up to the D'Angelo Russell trade were very bad for him. Both he just wasn't moving right. He didn't play a ton of minutes. The team got was getting beat bad. They kind of let go of the rope defensively. And then upon the Mike Conley trade, his. Uh, his stats have been as follows. So this Memphis game, I'll give you a caveat here that that was his first like game back in heavy minutes um, after missing some time. Uh, he was eight and 10 there. That was his worst game. Obviously that was the team's worst game with, with Mike Conley in the fold. But since that game, 21 and 14, 17 and 19, 17 and 10, 16 and seven, 22 and 14, 13 and 14 and uh you know no fewer than two blocks a game he anomalously had no blocks in that dallas game he also was nine for nine for the field in that dallas game so it's like you would not say anything bad about his performance in that game so the the thing is is he's really been an excellent player since we acquired mike conley and um it, it's it, it's been a really fun thing to watch yeah, it's also and it's a stereo or not a stereotype. It's um it's something that gets mentioned by basically anybody that covers basketball, which is involving big men is important because they won't do the little shit if you don't. And we brought it up earlier this year when we were talking about Rudy on in several different occasions because there'd be games where we'd have two attempts, five attempts from the field. And you you can see that he feels like a much more active participant on the offensive end of the floor because both his defense has become far more impactful. Um, And by more impactful, I don't mean he's been bad at any point this season. It's to Rick's point. It's loud. It's a lot of, a lot of block attempts. It's a lot of blocks. It's a lot of rebounds, both offensive and defensive, and just being really aggressive around the basket. And so it's to me, Dan, I think that's such a key here because I think the overarching story of this season for the Timberwolves is, and Britt Robson has done a great job of identifying this and talking about it from a strategic standpoint, basically the fly around versus um, more conservative approach, but that also applies to their personalities. And 
I think this, the story of this season and ultimately what will define the success of this season, but more so the success of this team or failure of this team going forward is on one end of the spectrum, you have the, the new guys on the team that were brought here for a very specific reason. And then you have the incumbents, these young guys, and I would even include Cat in that, basically dudes that have not been in, in the right type of atmosphere or are new in the NBA, right? And they needed to find a way to teach each other the best parts of what they each were and to try to excise the worst parts of it. So when you say Rudy's been louder and more emphatic, that is him going into the middle. You get what I'm saying? Like that is him meeting these guys halfway and understanding that like, this is the thing he needs to learn from these young guys. He needs to learn how to let go. He needs to learn how to play loose, play free, play loud and understand the virtue of making those loud plays. Hopefully in addition to all the great stuff he does on the margins, but understanding the value of that. And that's the same thing with Mike Conley and the same thing with Kyle Anderson. It's finding that, finding the youth, finding the joy, finding, and that's all, you know, that's, that's Anthony Edwards, right? In a nutshell. And for the young guys, the incumbent guys on the team, including Cat, it's about finding that professionalism, finding that seriousness. And so when you see Anthony Edwards taking pride in his defense and locking dudes up at the end of games and making smarter passes out of double teams. That's also him meeting in the middle because, you know, he's obviously a extremely self-motivated young man, but you also have to realize like if he was in Jalen Green's shoes instead of his, his shoes on this team, you know, his, his internal motivation probably not be enough to get him to do the right stuff consistently. So it's really getting these two disparate factions to understand the value and the virtues of the other faction and meet each other in the middle. And I think Rudy being loud like that is the most obvious example of it. And I think it, I think it speaks very well of him in his character and the type of person that he is. Um, but it also speaks highly of the other guys on the team and the coaches for for recognizing that and trying to bridge those two groups. Yeah, the, I think it was, no, it wasn't Britt. It was Dane, I think, uh, put something on Twitter last night. And it was in reference to the Rudy Gobert trade. And what he said is one of the underrated elements of trading for Rudy Gobert in the season that, that it's through is that it it almost guaranteed that Jade McDaniels and Anthony Edwards would be in more big games earlier in their career, which I think is a good point because it does expedite and, and um, you know, their development is going to happen at a much faster pace. And you can actually see that, you know, to your point about ants meet in the middle being, you know, his defensive effort, you can actually see like the difference right now, um, watching Jaden and Ant play together versus, you know, Jaden and Ant playing together early December. It's versus Jalen Green and Jabari Smith. <laughs> exact yes, exactly. Like you can map it over or over guys, you know, that were in their draft classes or or are of similar age. Close to it. Uh, or I mean shit, man. I mean, 
talk about some unher- an unheralded duo, but by a combination of what you're saying, the situations they're being put in and just what they are made of internally. I mean, from 2020 draft on, I mean, what's the reason why you would take another duo other than them, other than your preconceived notions about them? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think another important thing, and I want to, this will be a good way to get to this, this topic that I know I wanted to talk about with you because we haven't in a while. So Rudy's utilization has improved dramatically. The team, the team-wide effort and physicality, they're really imposing their will in a way I hadn't seen most of the season. And so you really, I, you know, just as a fan watching these games, feel really good about the direction the team is heading. It is so vitally important that they got, you know, Mike Conley and the Rudy Gobert piece of this figured out now, because as you mentioned just a bit ago, the return of Carl Anthony Towns at this point apparently is imminent. I, I There's 16 games left in the season. The, if he's going to return, it's going to happen really soon. Um, Dan, okay, how how soon? Because at what game number... Can they credibly say it just was too late? Game 10. Okay. So that's 10 game soon. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like 10 games left in the season. I could see them being the ramp up to get to the postseason, And what would be expected of them when that time comes is just unfair. Like it's, it's too much to put on his body too fast. Like I could see that argument, but to your point, like it's going to have to happen real fast. And what's happened with these recent developments with the team. And again, winning cures all. But Boy, does it ever. I have become, I, I have become way more excited about the return of Carl Anthony Towns in the last week than I had been at any date, you know, before that. Um, I actually feel like with us, you know, starting to figure out the Rudy thing and it being so obvious at points in the game that we need another scoring threat. We really do. That this is his return, if it happens, kind of maps about perfectly over what the team needs and where the team is at. How are you feeling about the possibility of him returning? Well, I'd like for him to be back as soon as possible. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, for no those, shit. For, the, for those very reasons. And also, you know, for the long term of it, both just for the fodder for the two of us, but also just for the team. I mean, they, they really desperately need to see these guys play together uh, going into this next summer. But um, yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing that I'm... I'm not concerned about the offensive end of the ball. Um, I actually think that at times, I, I think that the team when he was there was a little underrated, honestly, like for how much, like how unusual the pairing is, how much, you know, was at stake, all of those things. I mean, they, they did go 500, when he was there you know what I mean like it's not like it was ridiculously bad I mean it's it's 500 for a very weird fit so right uh, and I think a lot of that was because it did click sometimes on offense and the defense was the most challenging part so I do think the offense will go right away because I think the thing that Kyle Anderson has done really well with Rudy Gobert is actually something that Cat had picked up on early too. Uh, and we, we got a lot of profit out of 
Cap playing in the same spots that Kyle Anderson now plays in and finding Rudy down low. Um, so I think offensively, they should be in a pretty good position. The toughest thing is obviously just like losing those Kyle Anderson minutes, you know, is that we can't play six guys. Um, defensively, it's going to be challenging. I mean, you just have to hope that, you know, with Carl sitting down for the last 40 plus games, it's really sunk into him what his responsibilities are going to be. And that's going to be the biggest thing. It's just, it's going to take time to break him of the habit of running back to the center spot on defense or crashing the offensive glass when he really needs to get back. Um, making the rota- making rotations from a different position than he's accustomed to. So yeah. the ability to stagger uh, Rudy and Cat when it happens is what's going to make us, um, in my opinion, really lethal. When they share the floor, yep. and, and you could see it last night, watching Rudy Gobert try to guard Trey Lyles, I was like, that's going to happen a lot when Cat comes back. You know, there's going to be a lot of matchups where it looks like that. Yeah, and I will say whoever we play in the playoffs, I mean, unless they just do not have the personnel to do so, would be absolutely foolish to do anything other than play five out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is, again, like this is why. So you're putting both of them on skates in that situation. It's not even just Ruby. No, and and again, I actually am more... (laughs) hypothetically i'm actually more worried about cat than i would be rudy you know um, what actually i kind of agree rudy has been better on the perimeter than i thought he was going to be the real problem is yeah just he like, just we don't he have just a... can't press up and that's no. and that's why when you play a guy like trey lyles it just sucks because it's like well he can just have that shot <laughs> because he can't press him you know what i mean like there's just no way for him because if he hugs up next to him trey's gonna blow right by him um, yeah but maybe perhaps in that scenario with cat there with Jaden McDaniel still on the floor, uh, frankly, with Ant on the floor still, there's enough. Um, this is where the headiness comes in, and it that's a that's an unknown with those three guys. Is is that could there be enough low man help? Right, you know, and can they scramble enough then when the ball starts swinging around the perimeter? Unknown. Yeah, no, that's and that's a good point too. I, I think. Because, Dan, you know, you could certainly see, all right, so if we're saying Rudy's pressing up and a guy tries to blow by him, I mean, you could very easily see Ant coming off of his guy and wiping a shot away at the rim, the old Dwayne Wade block. For sure. it's What sucks about it is it's less – you actually bring up a good point. I would way rather have them press and give up a possible drive. What I'm getting tired of is – It's that next pass, though, man. If they instead – if they don't get that shot wiped out – if instead they kick it to the corner where Ant came off of, I'm deeply skeptical of our ability to uh, rotate into into a good defensive position from there. Yeah, but it takes it, my argument to that, and you're 100% right, but my argument would be Trey Lyles with the ball at the top of the key. No, Nothing more needs to happen. <laughs> he can just shoot it. If he has to drive and kick, there's at least stuff that has to happen, and maybe you get lucky and you're able to deflect sure. a pass or get a block. I just can't deal with like, I know sure. you're faster than me. So I'm going to give you an extra step and you're just going to pull it in my face. And it's, a, and that's, what's really tough. You saw this happen to cat a bunch early in the season when you shared the floor with Rudy, because he's not used to guarding fours. And so he'd be afraid of them putting the ball on the deck and they would just pull up. 
and it's it's I don't know I don't want to get down a rabbit hole with that, but it... but we need we but basically what what needs to happen is these guys need to demonstrate, and Rudy needs to have the confidence in his teammates that they can defend the back line enough because when Rudy has looked his worst defensively this year is when he's been caught between committing and perhaps correctly so not not trusting that someone's going to have his back and that has manifested itself often in guys shooting floaters over him that look like they could they look yeah, like they could get purgatory. blocked and you're like why is that not getting blocked the reason why it's not getting blocked is either correctly or incorrectly he believes that if he commits that the guy behind him will get a dunk and because no one's going to be there so that yep that goes to the same thing that we're talking about with playing five out of you know how close can he comfortably get to the guy he's guarding because i'm less concerned about his ability because the thing is man it's like first of all he does move pretty well in a stance but also he covers so much ground because his strides are so big so it's like it doesn't really take a lot for him to stay with a guy unless they're like have like 35 foot range the trouble is if he's playing too conservatively because either the guys don't have his back because they don't have the awareness or uh, because he just doesn't have the confidence in them. If he's caught in between, and this is actually where Carl Towns struggled with, with honestly the same team playing a drop coverage uh, that would manifest itself with cat with getting a lot of reach in fouls, but uh, same problem really. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that's happened over the last few days as you bring up Rudy's biggest defensive concern, you know, when when he would have to decide between two different coverages. There has been, Jim P brought it up on the broadcast these last couple games, but just the idea that the Timberwolves are playing five guys who can play actual defense, um, which again is, talk about solving problems. Like you just brought up... Fucking yeah. rules, man. It also, Dan, finally they've built a goddamn team to play in a cold weather market. This is what no we shit. want. Absolutely. If you're not going to win it, we'll take a championship, obviously, any way we can in any sport. But yep. short of that, just give us a team that we feel like is busting ass. Absolutely. Every night. Lunch pail people. All sports. All sports in, in a market like this. Yep. And so we, you know, all these things that are getting solved, um, it's it's actually it's left me kind of feeling um, as though the cat return. There's a better because there was a point no more than a month or two ago, and I don't know if we ever discussed it directly on a podcast, but there was a point that I actually felt we would be far better off without cat returning. I just thought the addition of Carl Anthony Towns would yeah. would cause such an issue for everybody involved that we would it would actually kind of crater the season while we tried to figure it out on the fly. I no longer have that concern. And I actually think the only way for us to raise our ceiling in any meaningful way when it comes to being a playoff team is we have to, we have to have Carl Anthony Towns back and we, and he has to be playing well Um, because outside of that, I mean, this is, this will go down as the season that had a lot of ups and downs, but outside of, you know, a catastrophe in the last 16 games, I'm pretty confident that I'll come out of this feeling good about the direction of the team and good about the way we executed, given all the variables. 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, Dan, the thing is, the reason why we need him back is because it is very clear that if we don't have him back, fit be damned, like, they don't, with how loaded the league is, like, they're, they would not be one of the 16 teams, you know, to advance to the next round. They just wouldn't have the talent. Like, and it wouldn't, and I yeah. feel like people would, it would still be, because this is what fans do, and, you know, you and I would get here, too, like, We'd still probably frame it like it's a failure of character or will, but the truth is, like, you just look at the rosters of the other teams that they'd be competing with, and just they wouldn't have enough firepower talent-wise. Well, yeah, and, and right now the Wolves, um, after a Mavericks loss today, right before we started recording the podcast, the Wolves are in sixth uh, on their own, beep, 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 beep. which is huge. Yeah, plum seed, uh, like literally the most coveted seed in all of the playoffs, <laughs> the sixth seed in the West. I think you might... <laughs> Yeah, I think you might be right. It is. I mean, no, it, and it, to put for for anybody listening Dan, to this, dude, like Dan, we could win that series. We cannot win the like a one eight. We cannot win. We could maybe beat Memphis. I don't know. No, I'm not throwing can't. that one out. Fuck Memphis. We could maybe. We would not beat Golden State. We would not beat Phoenix. So, could we beat Sacramento? Yeah, of course we could beat Sacramento. <laughs> Yeah, the only two teams we have a shot against in the first round is Memphis and Sacramento. Those are the only two. Um, yep, and now we're getting cocky about Memphis again because of, uh, for obvious reasons. Even if I did say on this pod within the last couple months, I'll never doubt these guys again. I'm doubting again, baby. <laughs> yeah, well, and to be honest, man, it's less about the doubt. The Wolves don't like Memphis and played them well last year. I just believe that there's something else to that series. It's one of those. It's one of those series where... Regardless of how well Memphis is playing, I believe the Wolves will play differently given that opponent. And so I actually, I like that matchup quite a bit for us regardless. Um, but right now it would be Minnesota Sacramento. Um, and we obviously just played Sacramento last night, won that game on the road. And yep, so we played them again in two weeks. So hopefully for the love do. of God, Cat will be playing in that game in the preview of the three six. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it's, it's so jammed up right now. The Lakers are up uh, as we speak on Golden State. Golden State has a game lead on us. They're in five. Uh, the Lakers are the 11. So, again, this is going to change a million times. Um, but what's good to see is, and last night was weirdly pivotal, and I remember conversations in the past that you and I have had, and you've made this point really, really well to me. I wish I could articulate it exactly. But when you're this close to 500, the actual like impact of each individual game. So like last night they were on the cusp because of the, the Sacramento made a third quarter run and then it was close all the way down the stretch. And so the wolves easily could have lost that game. Had they done so they went into the night, a game over 500. If they lose their 500, but instead they win. So they're two games over and the world between two games over 500 and being 500 is so immense in this conference right now that as we look forward to the schedule and the wolves have, this has got to be one of the, I'd love to do some like uh, advanced stats, deep dive on this. The schedule for the wolves is bizarre. So they play, they now have only Eastern conference opponents for two, four, six, eight games in a row. So we play the East for eight consecutive games and for, it's basically a 50-50 split between home and away, which is wild this late in the year. Um, but every game now, just like it has been for a while, these games that the Wolves have kind of had coin flips and have have had close, um, you know, late, 
they're starting to figure out how to win some of these games. They did it against the Clippers. They did it against the Lakers. They certainly did it against Sacramento. And that's actually leading me as a fan to be a little more hopeful when we get to playoff time, if we're able to hold our spot here. Not that they would win the series or that I'd bet them to do so, but that they at least could possibly do it. Because when you're bad late, it doesn't really matter when you get to the playoffs. Like It doesn't really matter who you are. That is just a recipe for, you know, you're going to lose a lot of games because playoff games are going to be close down the stretch, mostly. And if you're a team that just hasn't figured out how to win in those moments, then you just don't have any kind of a shot regardless. And so it's good as a fan to be going into this stretch of the season feeling like they're at least figuring out crunch time and kind of how to perform. Even when it doesn't look good, which I would argue it still doesn't look very good, they're still gutting these wins out. They're not completely choking away these games, and they're doing just enough to be able to take them, which is great. Yeah, and to me, this is the greatest argument for making guaranteed playoff spots even more scarce than just six in each conference, because the reason why these regular season games are so good is because there's a scarcity of playoff spots available compared to the number of teams that want those playoff spots, you know? And so when there's this much talent in the league, if you want to make the regular season really matter, you just, you make it so that fewer teams are guaranteed to make the playoffs. And then the regular season is a playoffs of sorts, you know, as a round Robin playoffs leading into the final tournament. Um, It's one of the reasons why I'm like, seems like they are going to have this mid season tournament. I'm like, this is the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard in my life. Um, you want to devalue the regular season even more? <laughs> what? Anyway, that's an aside, but like, that is the reason why this is so fun is because these teams are jumbled up because there's not a lot of difference between them. That, that is like, it's kind of driving me nuts. It's like, it's getting framed as like, it's a mediocrity. It's not a mediocrity. There's something mediocre about the Golden State Warriors or a team that has Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving or a team that has Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's like, it's just fucking tight, man. And the margin for error is small. And that's to the benefit of all of us is it means we get to watch more competitive, close games. Yeah. And depending on how the plan shakes out, I mean, if you're looking at teams again, this is, this is a new uh, kind of invention for the league. So they're still in its, it's still in its infancy, but in comparison to the prior year, if, you, if you're thinking that Dallas, the Clippers, possibly the Lakers, Minnesota, Portland, Golden State. Dude, like, man, what if, the, what, what if it was Dallas, Clippers, Lakers, Pelicans in the play-in? It'd be, it'd be wild. Like that, that is so much talent, and that is so much better than last year's play-in. You know, or the year before. You oh, know? yeah. And and it's so much better. This is why they they got to rethink whatever it is they're going to do on this CBA deal, because that's going to be so yeah. much better than the first round of the playoffs. You know what I mean? And so it, no they doubt. just seem kind of allergic to thinking about, like, that it's about incentives is why it's the reason why teams do mm-hmm. what they do. It's because it's obviously the correct. It's honestly, it's exactly what we were just talking about with the wolves finding an identity is if there's plausible deniability and you're like, no, nah, you may think that that's the best thing to do, but I think this is the best thing to do. You know, it's like, there's going to be some disagreement, but like if you change the incentives up and you go, Hey, there is no incentive for being the worst team in the league. There is no incentive to sit your guys out. Like you, you need to win these games because there's 
we're making this more scarce and adding more single elimination style um, matchups with the play in, it, it creates more intensity. I mean, the thing that dilutes the playoffs is that they're all seven game series. So it's like the best team is just going to win. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I mean, that plane would yep. be nasty. And that would be this, you know, and the East is almost there. The East is just one team short, unfortunately. Um, I know. They're going to have that one stinker of a team, regardless. Unless, you know, either Washington or Chicago really makes a run at it. You know, it's kind of a last stand. But even just saying that out loud, I'm like, who could care? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. We're we're not there in the East, unfortunately. We're one shy. But um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, too, about, kind of the tail end of this season and, and us looking forward as fans, like last night's game. And, and we've been talking about this since the all-star break last night's game was so intense for a regular season game that, and, and we've been seeing it throughout the league, especially the Western conference. We've been seeing it a ton here over the last couple of weeks. And I am hoping that going forward to your point about incentives, Every team is scratching, clawing, trying to get better. All of them have what previously in other generations would have been, would have been considered like definitive all-star level players. Um, and they built out rosters that are pretty, you know, pretty deep with talent. And it's led to this, you know, as you mentioned, mediocrity when it comes to record. I really hope that this becomes kind of the new normal going forward. And I don't think it probably will. I think with the CBA and. Um, I trust them to fuck. Up. I trust them to fuck it up. And again, maybe we just get two years of this or three years of this, but I don't see an end in the near term outside of some CBA chic- chicanery because the league is just that talented but it makes the regular season, at least the late regular season. I don't think you can fix what teams look like in game 36 of the regular season. But with 20 games left in the year, I can tell you that a lot of these teams, you know, you and I just got done watching Dallas and Phoenix. That felt like a playoff game. And that's just much better for the league. Um, and I'm very, very excited that this, I, can you remember a season like this where there was just, yeah, I can't remember regular season games no. this good. No, because I also don't remember a season, Dan, where there's like credibly 50 all-star level players in the NBA. Yeah. And that might yeah, be an exaggeration, point. but it also might not. <laughs> like, No, if we if we did a list, I imagine that like 50 would, I mean, what would be like a CJ McCollum type or something like that? I mean. Maybe not even. Yeah, he honestly, may not even get to. Because it's yeah. like you just go to every team in the league, like the Wolves have three on our team. True. You True. Know, like. You go and down New Orleans line, has Denver, two ahead of him. Denver has yeah. how many? Denver, has, Aaron Gordon was almost an all-star, so Denver has four. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it runs dry pretty fast. You're right. So it's just like, yeah, man, it's, there's, and SAC, SAC has two. Memphis has three. Yeah. Who's four right now? Phoenix? Jesus Christ. Phoenix has four themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> Golden State has, what? three maybe four <laughs> like it's it's a lot man and that's that's not and what that means is like that doesn't mean they're all-stars every night and that this is the cj mccollum test like no but in a, a given game and specifically a given playoff game can cj mccollum produce at the level of an all-star fuck yeah he can absolutely no he can kill you on any given night absolutely um 
but my my broader point on that, just to put a bow on it, is it has been so fun to watch basketball these last couple of weeks post All Star break, and I can't. Definitely. You know, it's always this competitive when we get to the playoffs, but we shrunk the number of teams down to 16, obviously, or 12 if you take the play-in out of it. And so, you know, so you end up with far fewer teams competing at that level consistently night in, night out. It really does feel, man, that like 25 teams at this point or 24 teams are playing at that level every night, like really believe that they have a shot at making the playoffs or are still very much trying to do so. And so you, you can just turn on league pass and outside of the bottom Definitely. four, five teams, it's, it's just unbelievable to watch. I, and again, I, I'm so used to, you know, everybody talks about like playoff basketball. It's, it's far different than regular season. And that's been the case forever. And it still is the case. I don't want to make it out to be like, it doesn't go up just another slight level after that. But this is as competitive as I've ever seen the league night in and night out. And so whatever it is that's creating this, I hope the league is paying very close attention because this is what they need to try and, you know, capture in a bottle. This needs to be the lightning in a bottle and try and replicate it over and over and over again. Yeah. uh, Like I said, I trust them. I trust them to mess it up, but you are right. Like they are playing. I think we're at a playoff level of intensity and intention out of these guys, the difference, what makes the playoffs difference is the familiarity is just playing the teams over and over and the scout yep. on each team, which is why when we say like, Oh, well, the wolves are just going to face five out. Well, of course they will from jump. They will. And that's all teams that whoever their opponent or opponents are, that's what they will attempt to do with the wolves is spread them out and uh, maybe take the guys up. The last thing I wanted to talk about, cause I also think this is relevant to cat. It's relevant to what you said about um, separating him and Rudy. I have noticed that the Wolves with Chris Finch and with the addition of Mike Conley, they have gotten to five-man groups for longer periods of time in what is honestly like kind of snickered at, I would say, with like – you know, kind of smart NBA observers is the hockey shifts. Um, I think for this particular group, it's working really well. And I like specifically they've changed Rudy's rotation and they've tied him to Mike Conley. They've, they've switched Rudy's rotation from three a half to two a half. And that has allowed them to play the Nas Reed lineup. It's basically, it's the bench with Kyle Anderson in a few minutes with Anthony Edwards too, but it's mostly the bench with Kyle Anderson playing for like 10 minutes straight, you know, like a very significant amount of time consecutively, which the downside, this is, these are the trade-offs of like staggering guys versus doing hockey shifts. Like obviously Denver does the hockey shifts and they get criticized a lot for it, you know, playing five bench guys at once. The plus of doing that is the familiarity and continuity you get from playing a group of dudes together will lead to them performing better than the sum of their parts, you know? And um, so that is something that he's changed and I've really liked it because the it's allowing them to play with the same level of physicality and intensity that we've been liking out of the starters 
but just in a different manner because Nas Reed is such a different player than Rudy. But that's the same with, you know, Nas is something of a facsimile for Cat. And so I really like that they have done that. I think that the starting unit, the starting unit's been awesome in the last three games. They're like a plus seven. Um, that bench unit of the bench guys with Kyle Anderson, I'm going to pull that up right now and tell you what that is. And hopefully that matches up to our, you know, our eye test here. Um, While you're getting that pulled up, Rick, I was thinking about this too. They're in the po- um, yeah, really quick, Dan. They're in the positive too. Um, they're, they're heavily in the positive. The, the unit that is just Kyle Anderson with the bench is a plus three. And the unit where Ant mm. instead of Kyle Anderson is a plus eight. So you're you're profiting. Wow. And then the starting lineups a, a plus eight also. So you know you're getting the vast majority of the game with that starting lineup as a positive. But if you can play these huge chunks of the game consecutively with a bench group with one to two starters in there as well, and that is also giving you profit. You can't lose if you're playing like that. Yeah, that's and I was wondering because because you were and I were texting a little bit about that last night and, and you brought it was a great point by you because I've noticed it too that they and I was wondering if it was the Conley and Nikhil Alexander Walker edition where it's like the easiest way to get these guys comfortable is to at least in the short term keep them in the same rotation. So just basically I'm, you're going to play with the same four guys for a little while with very little variance. That way you can kind of get your feet under you, get some comfort. If that's what led to it, again, I don't know what did. What, to your point, it is absolutely working. The other thing I've liked a lot, too, is. Well, and Dan, I think the great way to illustrate that is, you know, there's a reason why this can work. It, it's kind of contingent on you having guys like your entire rotation worth of guys as plug and play in different roles. Uh, kind of like the Toronto approach where they do like shift in like one guy at a time. But the way that that works is like any one five-man right. group after you make the first substitution, they may play like three possessions together on offense and defense. So you don't – so while you might technically have more – you probably – not you might. You will have more talent on the floor if you do that. You just might not be getting the best out of that talent because they're playing together for such short spurts until the next substitution happens. Yeah, no, and that that's a really good point. And I think with those substitutions, it, there's another thing that I've I've noticed. And again, it could just be a, a very small sample size, um, because in this case, both guys had foul trouble. But he also is not is not pull, yanking guys around with foul trouble nearly as quickly as he was before. He let Rudy play with four. He let Nas play with four, and Nas kind of burned him and picked up his fifth. Um, but it's good to see because he seems very committed, hell or high water, to this idea of giving them, like you mentioned, those like ten minute stretches as a group. And so he's not he's not as quick to the trigger around things like foul trouble, or if a team goes on a run, um, he's not as quick to break the group up. Um, that was something that he was notorious for earlier in the season, where he would have a you know a team go on a nine two run, and he would just try to add another wrinkle in and and take somebody out. And to your point, like the continuity has been really good. The performance overall has been really good. And on top of that, it, 
there's just a level of confidence you can play with if you don't feel like you're constantly at risk of losing your your minutes, you know, or getting yanked and, and benched in game because you you fuck something up. And so that could be leading to the level of physicality we're seeing too. Like nobody's afraid of making that one mistake that costs them. Yeah, and to really hammer that point home, Dan, so the starting unit in the last three games, they have played 50 minutes, which is it's about 16 minutes. So if you think about that, that's just like probably the first six minutes of each of the first and third quarter and the last two minutes of the second and fourth quarters, you know, um, together. So that's like 16 minutes a game. Mm -hmm. The unit with Anthony Edwards in the bench has played about 16 minutes in the three games. So about five minutes per game. And the bench unit with Kyle Anderson has also played about 15 minutes in there. So that's, you know, that adds up to a good chunk of the game of positive play, like extremely positive play. That's, that's, you know, that's 26 minutes, 27 minutes of, you know, plus eight basketball basically. And then you just, when you can count on something like that, you know, anything beyond that is additive. You know, it's like all they, you're giving all the other units that play the other 20 minutes in the game. You just got to be better than minus eight. <laughs> like that's, that's it. It's, it's such a cushion. Right. Just don't and give it all back. If you, yep. you know, you, you can get profit out of groups like that. Like they've played a lineup with um, Nikhil Alexander Walker in the space of Anthony Edwards uh, with the rest of the starters uh, when Ant sits, because Ant, you know, like we just said, Ant plays with the bench a lot. They played eight minutes in the last three games, and they were plus 21. Um, really, the only lineup that has played a lot of minutes that hasn't done well is a lineup that I think you and I both would look at and be like, this this could be a great lineup for the team, which is the starting lineup with TP in the place of Kyle Anderson. And that's a big negative so far in those three games. But that, to me, that feels like an anomaly. Like that feels like a good lineup for the team. That feels like a lineup they can go to when Cat gets back. Yeah, no, and 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 I, to be to be honest, and this is where my bias as a fan comes through. There's not many lineups that we could construct that I wouldn't like at this point um, for different reasons. But yeah, you're right. The TP the TP in in uh, place of Kyle Anderson. I think that's definitely got to be anomalous. I don't I don't think that's. Well, let's let's think this through, Dan, because it's it's not impossible that Cat comes back before the next time we record, and maybe we can wrap yeah. on this then. If we're looking at this and being like, all right, so they're going to play like three lineups a lot. They're going to play their starting lineup. They're going to have like two different five-man bench groups that they like a lot. And then the rest of it is going to be piecemealed together in little two-minute stints here or there. Break that down for me. Because obviously, you know, let's say the starters, we're going to, you just got to drop Kyle Anderson and swap him out with Cat. That's apparent. Yeah, it's cat for Kyle. And then yeah. one of those lineups is going to be a cat lineup. One of those lineups is going to be a Rudy lineup. At this point in the year now, how are you feeling? Because yep. we had some strong thoughts about this going into the season. And a lot of them were proved wrong. <laughs> and uh, we're not alone on that. Um, yeah, I know. Where are you I at know. now? With a What are some, like, we can talk through this. Like, what are what are the five-man groups you would like to see with Rudy? And the five-man group you want to see with Cat? 
I think the biggest difference is I would want to pair Kyle with Rudy. Definitely. And I'd want to pair TP with Kath. Yeah. Also Conley with Rudy. Yep. And then Conley with Rudy. And so the cat only would be TP. I mean, again, if J Mac, J Mac, um, you know, Ant or probably probably Ant or Jalen to get some some P and R with Cat. Um, and then you're looking for a four man kind of, so you could, yeah, yeah. another wing. So another maybe. Hmm. God, that's so tricky. Not that I mean, not tricky at all. I mean, it, you could do Jaden. You might, could do. I mean, we might just that just might be. Hey, like we're doubling up on Kyle Anderson because he's now I know. not in yep. lineup, and so, so can, we got yeah. the minutes for him. Yeah, and that's actually a good point. Um, and then with Rudy, I think yeah, it's a little more clear. It's obviously Conley and Kyle, and then you're left with two other spots, um, and you're really just filling wing depth at that point. Um, so Nikhil Alexander Walker for sure. Yeah, I would shooting. say. Um, and I kind of like the idea of a backcourt with Conley and him. Um, and then again, you go. That could be another Prince that, spot too. That could be. I mean, yeah. I like that just fine. Um, let's see. Has that wait? So we're saying Conley, Nikhil, Prince, Kyle, Kyle. And oh, Rudy. we haven't even put Jaden in it. Jesus Christ, dude! We forgot about Jaden. Yeah, well, Jaden, these were more, you're right. Like, Jaden basically can take any of the spots with Prince and Kyle. So, essentially, I think the three of them could rotate through any of those spots, depending on if you wanted to go big or small. Because, like, even TP could play a four if you want to go real small around one runners. Like, if you want to. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, is you're going to have to. So, I would say for playoff purposes, Rudy, he's 32 minutes there. And. 16 then goes to cat mm-hmm. we need cat to probably play 34 minutes so that's 18 off of power forward yep so, so we got 30 at power forward yep. available and 48 available at the three i think you need to so 78 minutes. 78 minutes but i also think that you probably be i don't think 78 is enough for the three i mean that's well, especially considering Jaden is going to play 36. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so let's subtract 36 off of that. That's 42. I need Kyle at 28. Which leaves TP at 14. Yeah, so that means that you need to steal some minutes at shooting guard for one of, for just one of those guys. And you're going to need to play big at shooting guard sometimes. Yeah, which, again, this is why this team... I think is actually deep in some really good ways. Kind of like that. Yeah. So do I like, no. And and I've thought a lot about this with some of the matchups that we could potentially have because Sacramento last night, for example, went small a ton and it's like, well, okay, well we, we have the guys to go small. Like again, you could have a TP at four lineup if you wanted to, um, or a Jaden at four and play a bunch of smalls. But when we need to go big, like we are going to have a deadly potential big lineup um, with a lot of variability too. It's not just one set of five guys. Like we actually could alternate through that and be extremely problematic. That's actually the lineup that I, when it comes to playoff time, if we have cat back, that's kind of the lineup I'm most fascinated to see is some mega lineup where essentially it's point ant Rudy cat. And then, you know, Jaden, Kyle, Jaden TP, um, I agree. I mean, the thing is, is because there's, we don't have, we have 48 
regular season minutes at point guard right now, we do not have 48 playoff minutes at point guard because no. I'd say Conley's 28 tops. And for Jay, sure. I mean, J Mac is not 20 in the playoffs, not against every team. Um, he might no, not even be able have, to play yeah. in, against certain teams. And so that would open the door. I mean, he would probably be the first guy to drop out of the rotation. And we've already taken nods out of the rotation, unfortunately. But that's just that's just the breaks. Fuck, I forgot he, about that. He, 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 he can't. I mean, he just simply cannot play if we have Cat and Rudy in a playoff context. You yeah, just have is... him and uh, Jalen Noel as knuckleballs if you need to. That's just how it's going to Yeah, which... To be honest with you, Nas is one of those guys that I would like to see us utilize in the playoffs and give him the give him the runway for a three stretch and see if he's hot. Um, because if he is, then I think he, to your point about a knuckleball, like he's the guy to keep in for like eleven minutes in in one game just because he was running really hot. Um, he's a foul trouble big. I mean, surely, surely. Oh, and we'll have plenty. We'll pick up some fouls and we'll fuck up our rotation. No question. No question. No problem there. (laughs) No cat cat with wind and in, in prime shape for him was still really, I mean, he couldn't stop following people. So I can't imagine when he's like gassed and same with Jaden, you know, obviously Jaden is at the top near, near the top of the league in fouls. So he has gotten better though. I will say that. Um, yeah, I but you, feel... so anyway, you need these minutes yeah. is, is the bottom line here. I think we've mapped it out pretty sure. well. I mean, I think the only real open question there. So we left TP at 14. I need six minutes for TP, which just means six minutes of one of those three wings playing shooting guard. Yeah. But I think we kind of got there because uh... and then you get that six back from ant playing point for six minutes. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is we went through the idea of you know J Mac coming out of rotation, um, which kind of which cleans the rest of that up. It makes it a lot easier. Well, what I would say there, then Dan, that puts us at that could get you because Ant needs thirty eight. He's going to be sure. thirty eight to forty five, <laughs> frankly, in the playoffs. Um, yeah, but that that leaves him at thirty eight. I think that leaves Nikhil and J- and J Mac at like fourteen and. Um, Mike Conley at 28 right. to me that's it that's that's the group right there um which 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 means what that means our bench is J-Mac Kyle TP and Nikhil Alexander Walker it's pretty good that's the type of bench you want I mean yeah uh the three I mean J-Mac for sure standing like well you do kind of want a caretaker point guard you know um but to have three like defensive plus defenders that can also do a little something on offense that's that's nice like we were just talking before we started the pod about the type of dudes that dallas needs to get this summer to fill out their roster i mean they they would kyle anderson and tp would be a great place to start be great (laughs) fits yep those those are the exact kind of guys that they need you're so right um all right let's wrap up we've done about an hour 15 here um covered a lot of good ground so not sure when we will record next, um, but as I mentioned before, the next game is Tuesday night at home, national TV against Philly. And it is an extended stretch of games here, nine in a row against the Eastern Conference. Uh, the next two will be at home Tuesday and Friday. And I mean, I think I think our goal will be, for anybody listening to this, is we would like to get back on a weekly schedule uh, between now and the end of the season. Um, there's going to be so much movement week to week. And uh, 
especially with the possibility of cat returning and what that could do. I mean, there's just going to be a lot of ground to cover with the wolves between now um, and April 9th when they wrap the season. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be, I mean, thank God we recorded today instead of like Monday of last week. And so uh, the tables, Oh, the tables turn <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I messed up the messed up. Messed up the oh, Michael how Scott turn tables. Yeah. I messed yeah. up the messed up. Uh, yeah, no, but it, it's, uh, it's going to be really good. And, uh, you're right. I mean, yeah, life it's, is a uh, it, it would have been crazy to record on Monday and just have heard the difference. I mean, it's a glass half full day for sure. Recording today is a glass half full day as a fan. So, um, but yeah, eagerly awaiting that Tuesday game. Philly is terrifying. Uh, it's national TV. It's going to be a tough, we need mean Rudy. Mean Rudy. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, but yeah, good to talk to you, man, as always. And we'll be back. Uh, we'll probably be back next weekend would be my guess, unless something crazy happens this week. So 